to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Please give your attention to several scripture verses I'm about to share with you. First is Matthew, second chapter 3, next Matthew chapter 4, and then something from Acts chapter 28. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. Kingdom of heaven has come near. Chapter 4. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. In Acts chapter 28, this takes place in Rome, features the Apostle Paul. From morning till evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. This is God's word. Dear sisters and brothers in and of Christ, there you've heard it with your own ears. The way preparer of the Lord John the Baptist, the gospel writer here and elsewhere in the gospels, summarizes his entire message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And when the one whose way he prepared began his public proclamations, same message to summarize everything he said and did. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then, probably by God's grace, the greatest of the New Testament apostles and evangelists, the Apostle Paul, same story, gets to the capital of the Roman Empire in Rome, and he summarizes his message, Luke does, with the same words. He preached to them about the kingdom of God. As many of you, I hope all of you, I've been following the readings that our congregation has been using each week. We've been immersing ourselves in the four Gospels this year. This week, this morning, perhaps you read already for the day, as I did, chapters 19 and 20 of Luke. Not too late to get started on this. Okay, you can catch up, but you can start where we're at. I've been so blessed by that immersion in the Gospels and one of the things I've been noticing is all often this concept of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God as it's sometimes synonymously called, how often that appears. And this week, as I have the privilege to share God's word with you while pastor is with his mom, um, taking her to a family reunion. You know, they, she lost her husband a couple months ago, pastor's father, and she herself has had serious health troubles, and now they have, pastor was able to go there and be with her and bring her some joy and a chance to attend that reunion. And as I was preparing, I thought, well, I've been noticing so much about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and this is embarrassing to admit, but in all the decades I was a pastor, I don't remember ever having that theme for a sermon or a devotion. Talked about God's rule in so many different ways, but that concept summarized this way, the kingdom of heaven has come near... I never had sermon themes about that. That's an embarrassing admission. 
If that summarized the preaching of the way preparer, of the one who's way prepared, and of the great proclaimer, Paul, well, I hope, despite me never using those exact words, I hope that my ministry had that emphasis upon the rule of Christ, our risen Savior and ascended Lord, who lives and reigns, as we say, and have said this morning in our prayer. So I thought, the kingdom of heaven, I'm going to talk about that. Now, as we talk about it today, let me ask you, when you hear the phrase, the kingdom of heaven, of what do you think? The kingdom of heaven. Or when you pray, as we shall, thy kingdom come. When you hear the phrase, the kingdom of heaven, of what do you think? I wouldn't be surprised if most of us are thinking all that kingdom of glory, that heavenly kingdom to which we're headed through God-given faith in Jesus as Savior. The kingdom of heaven, you know, another place, another time in the future, in eternity. And it's true, that kingdom of heaven, that true thoughts, biblical thoughts, but the kingdom of heaven also describes God's rule in this world, including his kingdom of power where he rules over all things. And as Ephesians 1 tells us, God has given everything into his hands. He has given him authority, the risen Savior, over all things in heaven and earth. And he controls all things, Paul tells us from the Lord, for the good of his church. That's you and me, his body, all believers. But it's not only his kingdom of power, it's his kingdom of grace. As Jesus said in the Gospel of Luke that we read this past week, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of heaven, synonymously, is within you. The Holy Spirit has brought you to faith in Christ. You call him Savior and Lord. You're in his kingdom. And that kingdom is now, not just later. It is here, not just in heaven. The kingdom of heaven is the gracious rule of God, the creator and savior of heaven and earth. We're living in the heavenly kingdom now, and we will live in that perfect glory of God's grace forever. One more question. And you've got to answer this honestly while you're going to be honest. You're God's people, right? When you think about your daily life, when you think about your daily life, what influences you more? The news or the good news? What influences your attitudes, your emotions, your feelings, your demeanor? The news or the good news? God gave me a wake-up call upon this Friday morning <laughs> in the devotional reading typically done for the day. One of the readings Judy and I have been following is a book called New Morning Mercies. It's by Paul David Tripp, okay? This was for Friday morning. Remember, I'm thinking, I wanted to talk about the rule of God, the kingdom of heaven. It starts out, too much of our emotional energy is sapped by worry. 
Too many of us are captured by discouragement. Too many of us are too often motivated by fear. Too many of us regularly lose sleep because of worry. Too many of us feel our lives are out of control. Too many of us wish that we had power that we will never have. Too many of us are paralyzed with regret. Too many of us wonder where God is and what is he doing. Too many of us feel alone and misunderstood. Too many of us envy the lives of others. Too many of us think that it's us against the world. Too many of us, when we are assessing our lives, leave out the ultimate explanatory fact, the existence, character, and plan of God. Which are you most influenced by in your daily life? I'm asking myself and you too. The news or the good news? He writes, I'm convinced that many of us need to take in or return to the worldview that is presented to us in the book of Daniel. So that's where I went. <laughs> and that's where you, my captive audience, huh? that's where we're going to go now. Many of you are too old for the traditional Sunday school thought, but Sunday school is for people of all ages, right? Let's go to an Old Testament Bible story. Let's go to Daniel. I'm going to read to you word by word the story from Daniel chapter 6. Listen up. Darius, I pronounce it, right? Many people say Darius. I'm the old-fashioned Darius. This is in the time of the kingdom of the Medes and Persians. It's the first year of Darius's rule. So, it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over his entire kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless... It has something to do with the law of his God. So the administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now you remember the story, right? Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered, 
in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days anyone who praised any god or man except to you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who was one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and make every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, Remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every nation throughout the land, I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God 
and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Mr. Tripp, Daniel's world is a world of trouble. It's a world of injustice, oppression, idolatry, danger, political corruption, war, and various other kinds of trouble. But it is not a world that is out of control. In fact, in the face of all the trouble, Daniel presents to us the very opposite of what we would tend to think if we were to assess his world. Daniel presents to us a world that, in every way and at every point, is under the control of one who is powerful and wise, and who holds the events of human history in the palm of his hands. Events happen according to his plan. History moves according to his will. Individuals' lives are shaped by his purpose. It is a world under rule. Consider these words, as we just heard. He is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Asking myself, which more influences my thoughts, my feelings and emotions, and my attitudes about my life and my present or future? The news or the good news? The kingdoms of this world or the kingdom of grace? The kingdom of heaven which has appeared and continues forever in the person of the one who gave himself for us. Daniel heard the news, and Daniel remembered the good news. He went to his room, the windows opened toward Jerusalem, and he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done. He heard the news, but he remembered the good news. And that controlled his thoughts and his attitudes. And all the news that he had heard that was bad, he put it before the Lord in prayer and let God take care of it and take care of him. That's what your Savior and brother wants me and you to do. To realize we're in his loving hands, the ones that were nailed to the cross as he bore the wrath of God for the sins of the world, including ours. God wants us to remember that he's got the whole world in those hands. God appointed him, as Paul said in Ephesians, we mentioned earlier, to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him. Think of it, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Jesus lives, and Jesus rules. 
And he wants you and me to find security and safety and joy and peace and strength and hope in his rule. The kingdom of heaven has come, has appeared, and continues. And you're in it on the way to the kingdom of glory. What do I find in this kingdom of Jesus Christ, this kingdom of heaven? A relationship with no less than the Lord of heaven and earth. I'm his child, and his son is my savior, and my brother, and his spirit lives in me. I'm redeemed by the blood of the lamb. My sins have been forgiven and forgotten by God, and I can forget them too. Do it. God's forgotten it, covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. He hears my prayers. I am truly never alone. Never alone. He's got a plan for me that's not just for yesterday or for mm, when I finally get there, but it's a plan for every moment of every day to trust him and to know that he's not going to give me a stone or a scorpion when I come to him. But he's going to give me what I need at the time I need it, whether I understand it or not. I can trust him and not have to tell him how to answer my prayers, but rather know that he knows the answer. He's got the plan of deliverance ready already for me to walk into. He loves me. He loves you. He loves us. And he's got a purpose for our lives. Paul wrote to Titus. It used to be the reading that was read on Christmas Day um, from Titus chapter 2, I believe. And he said, he gave himself for us to redeem for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. By the grace of God, Martin Luther understood this. And in words that I personally believe, other than the Bible, are the best words in language. Martin Luther understood the kingdom of heaven which has come. He said, echoing Paul's inspired words, all this in the second article's explanation, all this he did that I should be his own and live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. Just as he is risen from the dead and lives and rules eternally, this is most certainly true. Your living in and for Christ, sisters and brothers, and mine, is not just something we'll do when we get there. Perfectly, we will do it there. But something with God's grace we're inspired and empowered to do now. And when we slip up, we know we're covered. He's got our back, and all of us. All this he did, that you should be his own, and I, and live under him in his kingdom, and enjoy it! No matter how difficult the news is around us, no matter what the kings of this world who ought to serve him are doing against him and his, no matter what your personal threats are, and all the news, the good news is we're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We are loved by God, and he's with us. He's hearing us. He's helping us and enabling us to serve him, confident of his forgiving love and also remembering his enabling power to live under him in his kingdom and serve him. No wonder it's called the good news. And it's not just for a moment and then fades like other 
good news with a small g and n, right? It's good news every day, whether you feel like it or sense it or can see it or not, it's there. It's the foundation of our life. It's the kingdom of heaven come to earth for you and me who are on our way to heaven. John the Baptist, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of heaven in the person of Jesus and his message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The apostle Paul, on his way to a martyr's death, talks about the kingdom of God. And indeed, every member of the church is invited to enjoy that kingdom to proclaim it, not just with words, as I'm doing now, but with lives, as God enabling, I intend to do this day and every day with you. The kingdom of heaven has come. You're in it. Proclaim it. Live it. And share it. Because the love that has brought you in is there for everybody that's still outside, ready for them to come in too. The kingdom of heaven, as someone has said, is available, right? Take it, empowered by the Spirit. Enjoy it. What is the biggest influence in your life every day? Honestly, I've fallen sometimes into all the other stuff, all the news. What a waste. You don't have to hide your head in the sand. We can be honest about what's going on. But above all, we hide in the blood of Christ and in his love. For it's not the news, but the good news that's over our lives now and forever. And all God's people say amen. That's how you end a sermon. Please, get up. Don't try it next week. Let's go. You can stand, please.